Have you ever woke up on a Sunday morning and said, what's the point? Why am I rushing around and getting ready to go to church? Have you had those thoughts cross your mind? I've been working basically full-time at a church since December of 1987. So I was paid to go to church on Sundays, right? But, but before that, before that, like, like that, since that, that fall of 87, I was, I was in seminary and, you know, I had Jesus and the Bible and chapel all during the week. So Sundays come and guess what? There's some Sundays I just, I just slept in. I did something different. When I was at uh, Auburn, particularly those last three years as a fraternity house with, you know, 25 other dudes, and, you know, Sundays, it was real easy to find somebody to do something with, to, to not just, you know, say, hey, we're all going to church. That, that, didn't, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. And in, in fact, it, you know, it, this could have been me. This, this could have been me, particularly... Uh, at, at another at another church, right? This 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 mother on one Sunday morning, this mother goes to the to the door of her son's room and she knocks on the door and said, "Hey, it's Sunday." And a voice comes through that door, loud, "I'm not going." And she said, what do you mean you're not going? He said, I'll give you two reasons why. Nobody there likes me. And I don't like them either. That's two reasons. And she said, I'm going to give you two reasons why you will go to church this Sunday. One, you're 47 years old. And two, you are the pastor. There are times, I guarantee you, that it crosses your mind, is, is this worth it? Is church, is church worth it? <laughs> and I, I've had it cross my mind where I'm going, even now, or even now, and, and I say now, not in, the last, not in the last few years, but early on, many years ago, even here, it would still cross my mind on some Sundays, I'm waking up, I'm going like, you know, half of the people that call this church home won't be here. Over half. And when we got most of the community doesn't care about church, what's, what's, what difference does it make? What, what, is, the, what is the point? And, uh, you know, I've got friends, close friends that that don't think that church is worth it. So I thought, and at times still think, am I a sucker? Have I been sold a bill of goods? Have I been conned this whole time? Let, let Let me remind you about something. When we question... That doesn't matter. This is just a blanket statement. When we question, that's okay. Because when we question, it always leads us to the truth. 
If you show me a person that is questioning, I can work with that person. If you show me a person that simply follows whatever somebody else has said without question, that person's dangerous. But if you have these type of questions, that's okay. I want you to have those questions because in in asking those questions, you're going to get clarity. And whenever I ask any question about the church, I always go back to why. Why? Why do we have church? Because the church has the best news ever. The church has the best news ever. We have access to a life-changing relationship. We have access to a life of purpose. The church exists to talk about Jesus. And there really wasn't a church until there was Jesus. And technically, until there was a resurrected Jesus. What does the word church bring to mind for you? What does the word church bring to mind for you? I can, t- I can tell you for years for me, it was Kool-Aid and cookies. Now we're talking about the Kool-Aid with the real sugar, not the other stuff, right? Kool-Aid with real sugar. I made sure we had sugar cookies and sugar in the Kool-Aid. We were going to be all hyped up when they sent us home, right? So I remember Kool-Aid and cookies. I also remember Upper Room. Why? Because that's what I read during church. I read the stories in the Upper Room. I also remember laying down and falling asleep on my mother's lap on the very back row of that church. That's what I remember. And then I graduated and got a different perspective. Some of y'all got that. Jim, thank you, Jim. Appreciate that. You got, you got that. You got that. All right. But for some, for some of you, for some of you, church is a place I want my kids to go. Church is a place that I hope my teenagers and young adults want to go to. For, some, for many of you, particularly today in this, this room right here, church is a, is a place of habit now for you. It's, it's a Sunday, I'm going. That's, that's what it is for you. For some, church is still a question. Well, I've heard about it. I'm, I'm not so sure about it. Uh, I've been told some good things. I've been told some bad things. And, and, and so you still come in with questions. You, you come into this service still with questions or you're tuning in on your computer screen or you're watching on a bus coming back home and you're still wondering, what is this church thing? And there is a group of people, when you mention church, 
It brings up pain. It brings up shame. It brings up guilt. You know, it brings up shame because, because you, you might have gone into a church and didn't feel welcomed because of the way that you looked, the way that you dressed, who you were with, where you worked or didn't work, or your lifestyle. But what about what the Bible says of church? Not, not what we think the church is, not what we maybe even experience what the church is. What does the Bible say about church? Because that's where we really, really need to land. It's really not my opinion or your opinion. It's really about what does the Bible, what does God's word say about the church? Because the church, first time we have a mention of, of the word church, it's actually the Greek word ekklesia. Ekklesia. And the, what the happened is what the early church co-opted this word from the Greek world. Because ekklesia was, was used to describe a gathering of people, but it was a legislative body. It was representative and, and representative of a region. And so just like any other legislative body, they, they, they made decisions and appointed people to benefit their region. Well, when the, when the people that followed Jesus started gathering together, they called them an ecclesia. It wasn't a, a legislative body so much, but it was a group of people that saw the benefit to the region when people started following Jesus. The first place we have mention of ecclesia, the church, is in Matthew. Jesus has asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they've told him, well, me, Moses and Elijah. But then he pointed to ask, but wait a second, who do you guys? You've been with me. You know me. Who do you say I am? And this is when Peter spoke up and said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And we understand, and for those of you, quick lesson, Peter preached the first Christian sermon. After Jesus was resurrected, the first Christian sermon was preached by Peter, and the church was born. And that was Pentecost, and we celebrated Pentecost Sunday in the church calendar last week. Church was born. But he, taught, he said, to P, he said you are Peter. And, and Peter is the word Petros, which means little pebble. But then he said, and on this rock, Petra, on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. What is rock? It's a collection of stones that make up a big deal, right? So he's basically saying, on people like you, a bunch of people like you, Peter, a collection of people like you, that's how I'm going to build my church. People who recognize me as the Christ. That's how, that's how the church will be built. Now, we fast forward in the early church, that, um, and we come to a guy named Paul. 
Paul, if you remember a couple weeks ago, Paul was very instrumental in the church, but not initially. Initially, when the early church started, Paul had to go off to a place uh, for a number of years, sort of in solitude, confined, before he started his missionary journeys, before he started founding churches, before he started traveling around and preaching about Jesus. But the church was growing all during this time. And then, but when Paul comes on the scene, it more or less explodes in a whole lot of different areas of the world. The church basically be- began to see its full po- potential when Paul comes on the scene and starts traveling. And we see this in Ephesians when he talks about the church. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages was kept hidden in God who created all things. So Jesus is a mystery to some people. But Paul says, it's, it's, it's what God's going to do through me to make this plain to everyone. Then I'm going to make it plain in the church, through the church, about Jesus. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Here we see the purpose of the church. To make known the wisdom of God. To make known Jesus Christ according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through faith we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So the church is only the church through Jesus Christ. That's the only way the church is the church. Without Jesus, it's simply a gathering. With Jesus, it's a church. Understand this. This might throw you for a loop. The church isn't for everybody, but it is inclusive and exclusive. The church isn't for everybody, but it is inclusive and exclusive. All right? Now, the church has been around, what, 2,000 plus years, right? 2,000 plus years. And the more and more this, our world, North America, the more and more our world uh, matures and gets further and further away from uh, the founding, the majority of people who could care less about church keeps growing and growing and growing. But the church is still inclusive. Let me show you. Paul says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. So when he's talking to people here in Ephesus, it's like he's talking to us. Like every one of us. Yeah, you're living in North America, you're living in the United States, and you're going the way of the world. Because the way of the world could care less about Jesus. The way of the world could care less about church. And the way of the world is leaning toward sin and leading into sin and doing things the way they want to do them, okay? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, which you loosed to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
So we're living in disobedience. Every one of us are living in disobedience. But he said this, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. This is for everyone. This is for everyone. Grace is inclusive. By definition, what is it? Unmerited favor. That's all of us. All of us have, we've done nothing to get that favor. But God's grace is inclusive for all, for anyone, for everyone. And all who come to repentance are saved by grace. Any given Sunday, you know, uh, who are you sitting by? You're sitting by a sinner. A sinner who is saved by grace or a sinner who is yet to be saved by grace. That's who you're sitting by. Philip Yancey said this, church is a place where I can say unashamedly, I don't need to sin. I need another sinner. Because because when you walk in, when you walk in on, on a Sunday and you sit down and, and there's a person to your left and the person to your right and the person in front of you and person behind you, they are also coming in just like you. They're coming in with questions. They're coming in with concerns. They're coming in with doubts. They're coming in with shame. They're coming in with guilt. And all are welcome. And all are included in whatever we are doing together. Because Jesus says to us, I have mercy. I have mercy on you. And my grace is, is available for you no matter what your condition, no matter what your questions, no matter what has gone on in your past. My grace is available for you. See, it's in, he includes us all. But it is exclusive. Yeah, I, it is exclusive. Matthew 7 says this, not everyone who says to me, Jesus says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons, in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. As much as the world tries to push this, not everyone gets a trophy. Not everyone gets a crown of life. Not everyone. Not everyone. Church isn't a destination. Church isn't a destination. You know, I've done a couple of funerals where I, I have not known the person, but in talking to when I talked to the family, it was a person that had been suffering uh, for some time, and they said, well, at least they're not in pain anymore. At least they're not suffering anymore. And that in itself is a faith statement, isn't it? Right? That's a faith statement. Yes, that physical body is not suffering, but you're making a faith statement saying that the next thing is pain-free. That's what you're saying. That is a faith statement. 
yeah, the physical body's not suffering, but you're saying now, oh, they're not suffering anymore. You're saying now that whatever's next is pain-free. Jesus was pretty clear. They're sheep and they're goats. He made it very plain, plainly clear. They're sheep or goats. There are some that will be included in the eternal family of God and that there are some that will be eternally somewhere else. You know, there are both people, there are both kinds of people in the church because many people think the church is the destination. So the church is inclusive and the church is exclusive. But there's something else about the church. The church isn't just people. It's a people with peculiar purpose. Church isn't just people. It's people with a peculiar purpose. You know, you can gather people anywhere, and that happens regularly, right? Taylor Swift can gather a lot of people at one time. Come, come end of August and September on Saturday, you're going to find a lot of people gathering. We're, we're, going, we're, we're about to start this, the campaign cycle is just heating up, right? There's going to be a lot of people gathering at different campaign stops, and so people are gathering for, for entertainment. They're gathering to, to, to maybe uh, get the vote out or to get registration or to get people to vote for their, for their person, right? Crowds can be motivated to do something, and crowds can be motivated to do something destructive and evil as well. Because we know that people will do things in a crowd that they would never do on their own. Many of you, just because you're here today, when, when a hymn was played, some of you actually sang because others were singing around you. By yourself, you probably wouldn't do that. There's some, some of you that, that when you're in a big gathering, you'll raise your hand or you'll talk out loud if other people are doing that. There are some actually will come kneel at the rail and pray if somebody else is doing it. The church is, is, a, is unique because when, when we gather together, we can do something as a group that we can't do as individuals, that we couldn't do on our own. And this happened in the early church in Acts 16. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. They didn't grow just like one day. Okay. On one day of the week, they grew. No, so they daily grew in numbers. How did they grow daily? Because the people saw that the church was not the destination. The church was for mobilization. How's this done? Jesus said, well, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As Jesus was getting ready to ascend into heaven, he told his people, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be, what's a witness? A witness is somebody that simply says, this is what I saw. This is what I experienced. In, in early 1992, my, my last semester at Kentucky, I witnessed a wreck. It was, it was clear who was at fault in this wreck? I was, yeah, I was on my way to class. Obviously, I must have not, I must have been early because I had time to stop at this wreck. 
So I witnessed it. They took my name and information. Boom, went on. Moved to Florida. Moved to Florida, you know, that, that summer. And I think it was either that fall or even the next spring, I get a call from the lawyer of the person who was injured. Said, hey, we're having a trial. You're a witness to the wreck. We want you to come up here. Pay for my plane ticket. Pay for a rental car. I didn't have to uh, get a hotel room. I saved him a little money there because I stayed with my, with, uh, my mother-in-law. All for eight minutes on the stand to simply say what I saw. Jesus appeared to 500 people after he was resurrected. And he told those 500 people this, go and tell others what you've seen. Go and tell others what you have experienced. That's the peculiar purpose for the church. Jesus also had reminded his his group of disciples, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. That's another purpose. That's a second part of the purpose. You're going to be a witness, but you're going to make disciples of all nations. He didn't say, I hope they will all be disciples. He told his group, he said, you make disciples. You be very intentional on making disciples. Don't just hope it happens. Don't just believe osmosis will take place and people will automatically be disciples. No, you make disciples. That's your, that's your peculiar purpose. And that is that purpose is, in, is burning in my heart right now for our church. Because for years, we have hoped it was happening. And, and for many in our church, it, has, it is happening. There are many people in our church that are disciples, and they are making disciples because I talk to them, but there's a lot of others that are not yet in that mode of making disciples. So I want to be very intentional about this. I really do. The peculiar purpose to, to be a witness and to make disciples is facilitated by people. Ephesians 4.11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ might be built up, so the church might be built up. See, this body of Christ, this church, is not a destination. It's a place to be mobilized. Mobilizing people for works of service. Who do you serve? You serve people. The, the waitress at Blue Lake, she's, ser- she's serving me. She's serving me my meal as quick as she can get it out to me. She's serving anything that, that, that I want to add to it, a refill or a drink or to-go box or, or whatever it is. She's wanting to serve me. Yes, she's doing it so she can get a tip. I understand that. But she is still serving me. And the, we, the church is to equip our people to works of service. And here's your big tip. You're serving Jesus. You're serving Jesus. Ephesians 4.16 says, for, from, from him, from Jesus, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does it work. Yes, there are different leaders in the church, apostles, evangelists, teachers, uh, pastors, prophets. There are different parts in the greater church that are needed to work together. 
There are different parts to work together. Those of you who are watching at, at home right now, those of you watching on a computer or on a, on a, on a phone, what, TV, whatever, watching a recording or whatever, or you're on the bus and you're, and you're watching this, you want, you want to know what goes in to you watching? Well, there are three camera people right now making sure that you can see. There's a lighting person up there that makes me look a whole lot better than I usually do. We, we have a person on a computer up there making sure that you have words on the screen that you can follow along with what everybody else is fo- uh, seeing. Then we have a person up there that's directing it, making sure it all looks good, make sure it's all in sync, make sure everybody's on the same page. We have somebody as an online host right now, double checking, making sure you can hear and see the service accurately. We have a sound person that's making sure that, that, that I sound a whole lot more masculine, you know, just, you know, thank you, Brian. Appreciate that. And then there's three or four different entities working to make sure the live stream and all is possible. We have all that, all that's just working together. Making sure that the church is not just a destination. So the church is inclusive and exclusive. The church is also filled uh, with people who have a peculiar purpose. But I really want you to remember this. The church isn't a landing place, it's a launching pad. The church isn't just, is a, it's not a landing place, it's a launching pad. I know, I know some, many of you have traveled before, many of you uh, have traveled by airplane, right? And, and when you go on a trip, do you tell someone, hey, I'm taking a trip, I'm going to the airport? No, you don't do that. When I went to Houston, I didn't say, hey, I went to Panama City Airport. I went to the George Bush Airport. You didn't say that. Yeah, I used the airport. The, the airport was where I needed to go to get to where I was going. It was crucial. It was a crucial element in my travels. To get to Houston, I needed to go to two different airports. But the airport was not my destination. But they provided me a safe place. They provided me a place for my luggage to be transported to the place that I really wanted to go. Right? And yes, the Whataburger charged about 50% more than the one in Defuniac Springs in the airport, but that's another story. And unless, and unless you are Tom Hanks or Mahir Karimi Nasiri, the airport is never the destination. Y'all know who that guy is? His name is Mahan Karimi Nathiri. He is from Iran. On November 12th of 2022, he died at the Charles de Gaulle Airport in France. You might want to say he died at home. Why do you say that? Well, from 1988, I mean 1988 to 2006, he lived in the Charles de Gaulle airport. The movie Terminal was based off his experience. He didn't have papers to get out of the airport when he arrived in 88, and then he chose to stay. But for you and me, the airport is only a means to an end. And so this church should be. The church is not a destination. The church is a place for mobilization. We are God's handiwork handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're created 
to do good works, good works, but not inside a building. We have 168 hours a week. One hour a week, we'll be here. What are you going to do with the other 167? We're actually going to hit this hard in two weeks. On June 18th, two weeks from today, we're going to really hit this hard about what it means to go outside this building. But I want you to simply know this today. You don't, need, you, don't need a person, you don't need to be a person that plants a church. You don't need to be a person to, that tries to draw a crowd. You don't even need to be a person that tries to go viral on social media. You need to be simply what Mother Teresa said. Not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. With great love. You're here today, then you're going to leave. What? Then what? You turn off your, your TV or your computer or your uh, phone, um, then what? What's going to happen? You're going to go somewhere. You, you're going to leave this building. You're going to leave your home, and you're eventually going to get off the bus. Then what? You're going to see people. You're going to live in the world And that's where Jesus is. And we have the best news in the world. We have the best news in the world. So so do something for another person that may be an act, uh, that may cost you something. It may be a sacrificial act of doing something. It may cost you something. Tell someone that Jesus loves them. Tell someone that God is for them, not against them. Tell them that God's grace is available for them. And how about this? Get a piece of paper and a pen, actually write something down, put it in an envelope, and put a stamp on it and mail it to somebody. Telling them, hey, this is how I prayed for you today. The church isn't a landing place. It's a launching pad. And we have the best news ever. Let's not confine it to Sunday mornings.